Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a lesson on Colossians 1. You mean within God's revealed will, I have freedom to make choices? Yes. And the choices I make according to God's revealed will bring pleasure to God? Yes. And it gets better than that. Here's the best part, listen. Within God's revealed will, we are free to do what brings the most pleasure to us. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. People often treat the will of God as a complicated puzzle with a ticking time bomb attached or as a confining tightrope that keeps us from experiencing pleasure and joy. But today, Pastor Steve explains that it's quite the opposite. We're learning why the will of God is revealed, available, and the pathway to true joy and purpose. If you missed part one of this lesson, listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve concluding a message titled, Dear God, What Do You Want Me To Do? God's will for us is something that is to be discovered in the sense that it is the application of what God has told us already to the various decisions that we make in life. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to continue to expand on this and try to develop a biblical, a proper biblical approach to discerning what God's will is for us. I'd like you to turn to Colossians 1. Look at verse 9. This is a prayer that Paul offers. He tells the Colossians what he's praying for them. And what he says here is quite interesting. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. The goal of the prayer is in verse 10, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So what Paul prays here in Colossians 1 is the same thing that he teaches in Romans chapter 12, which is that doing the will of God begins with knowing his will and not just knowing it, but a kind of delighting in the will of God that puts it into practice in everyday life. Let's talk about the two wills of God. You have, on the first hand, you have what is known as the hidden will of God. It's also called the decreed will of God. And then you have the revealed will of God, also called the perceptive will of God. The hidden will and the revealed will. It makes a distinction between the will of God as God understands it and knows it and the will of God that he has chosen to reveal to us. The secret things are, is the hidden will. The law represents the revealed will. There is no detail of our lives, there's no detail on the big scheme, on the, on the small scheme, that God is not sovereignly working and controlling and accomplishing his purposes, which he laid out in eternity past. It's the eternal decreed will of God. All right, now, here's the other side of God's will. The other side is known as the revealed will of God. Why did God reveal his will to us? So that we might know him and know how to live in a way that pleases him. He has given us moral parameters for moral decisions, and he has given us principles and wisdom for all non-moral 
decisions to do. Obedience brings his pleasure. He delights to see us obeying his will. You say, I wanna know what God's will is in my life. Let's talk about a proper goal. Here's the goal that all Christians have to have. It is this, I wanna please the Lord. I want to please the Lord with my life more than anything else. Here's a couple scriptures uh, that go with this. First of all, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a verse that ought to just kind of flow off of all of our lips. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. My desire in my life is to glorify God and to please him. Bottom line, we all should have that heart. So that when pleasing the Lord is our primary goal, here's what happens. When we are faced with a moral decision where we know what God's will is, it's a no-brainer. I'm not going to do that. Well, why not? I mean, this, is, this would be financially profitable for you. I'm not going to do that because I know God doesn't want me to do that. And since my goal is not to have a lot of money, my goal is to please the Lord, I'm not going to do that. Case closed. Those are the easy decisions. Okay, those are the easy ones. Here's a key point, though. In all, listen now, Bethel, in all decisions that are not moral but fall into the wisdom category, I have freedom to make choices, all of which are pleasing to God. In non-moral categories where it is a matter of wisdom, not sin, I have freedom to apply wisdom and to know that each of those options fall within what God would find acceptable and pleasing. Now this is revolutionary for some people who again have the, no, there is only one way to live. There, the will of God is a tightrope. I've got to walk the tightrope. If I fall off the tightrope, I am never on the will of God again. I'm sorry, my friend, that is not biblical. My heart is right, my goal is right. I am guided by the word of God. The word of God doesn't specify a specific course of action. I have freedom to apply wisdom and to know that in those decisions I am pleasing the Lord. Here's Psalm 37.4, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you could look at that, and you could say, man, I love this whole Christianity thing. Why? Because if I just got to delight in God, and then I get all the things that I want, is that what you're saying, Pastor Steve? That is exactly what I'm saying. But you're not understanding something if you think it's a means to getting all the things that you want. Here's what happens. When we delight in God, change takes place. Our desires change. We come to find that we're not wanting the things that we wanted before we started this whole delighting in God thing. Now we start wanting what God wants, which completely frees God to give us everything that we want because all that we want is what God wants in our life. You see how transformational that is? This is not a means to the selfish desires that we want in our life. This is a means to God giving us all the things that we need and all the things that he deems good to us. This is what Jesus meant when he said, pray anything according to his will and you'll get it. Think about that. You ever try that? Okay. The Lord, you know, Lord, I've been praying for this Lexus, you know, and this says that if I pray according to your will, I'm going to get it. So I'm going to pray. I know that you would want me in a Lexus. I just, I mean, think of how good I would look in that. And I know that's important to you. So I'm going to pray this. And no, that's not, you got to pray according to his will. 
And what does that mean? It's Psalm 37.4, that when we love God and we want to please him more than anything else, our hearts change, which is so wonderful because now God is completely free to give us everything that we want because it's only what, what God wants. That's all that we want is what God wants in our life. Now, what I want to do is I want to do a little case study with you, okay? A case study is a, an example and I want to pick a decision that is an example and kind of walk through how this works. And then you can apply this model to whatever decision that you are facing. And let's see how this, this goes. Now, probably the biggest decision that you make in your life, other than the decision to make a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is the decision what? Who to marry? Number one question, who does God want me to marry? Okay, now let's just walk through this model for decision-making on this particular issue. What's the first question that we ask? What does the Bible say about this? Are there any moral parameters that should guide me to know what his will is for who I should marry? And the answer to that, of course, is yes, there are. If you are a Christian, the Bible is very clear that the person that you are to marry should only be also a Christian. That's a moral parameter. No questions asked. 1 Corinthians 7, 39, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. I have a friend that has been in youth ministry for years. I mean, he's old, okay? And so he has all of these teenagers that have continually, you know, they come back with their, their girlfriends and boyfriends and all that, and he says, you know, the only thing that I ask them is, is he a believer? Why? Because really that's the most foundational, fundamental question. Now, while I'm on this point, I just want to, give a little exhortation. Sometimes pastors have to do this when you're on the point because I don't know when I'm ever going to be back on this point. But singles and young people, would you please listen to me? You need to, I could say, we need to clarify what that individual means when they say, oh yes, of course I am a Christian. Because you know what I have found from people that have been through this or whatever, then I get an opportunity to talk with them and I'll ask them about their faith or I'll ask them about what, you know, salvation or something like that. They don't have a clue. And this is somebody that maybe has been dating somebody for a long time. Friends, this should not be. And I often wonder myself, you know, when you're dating somebody and you're a Christian, like what else is there to talk about other than first and foremost, where is your, where is your heart at? Do you know Christ is your savior? Like, I don't get that. How do you go months, weeks and months dating somebody and never quite get around to that? I don't get it. You must, you should. And ask them to clarify what it means. And I would encourage you to do it early before there's an emotional attachment and breaking up becomes more difficult. That's just a side note. Throw that out there. So is there a moral parameter? That's the first question. Doesn't matter what decision you're facing, what does God's word have to say on this matter? Secondly, now, okay, well, how do I know if he or she is the one? Now, somebody who's been listening to my sermon, please, what is wrong with that question? The one. What will is that trying to live on right there? Is it the revealed will? No. It's the hidden will of God. 
How do I know which one God purposed in eternity past in his own mysterious will that he would bring into my life that I might marry? How do I know if this is the one? We are not to live on that level. We can't live on that level. Those, the hidden things are God's, not ours. Okay? We have to make our decisions based upon the revealed will of God. So is there just one person out there that you can marry and make God happy based upon his revealed will? There are thousands of them out there. But of the six billion people that are in the world, there are many possibilities that fit within his revealed will. There isn't one college that God has chosen for you to go to. There isn't one uh, career. There isn't one state. There isn't one house. Is this the one house that God wanted us to buy? That's not a category that he's revealed to us, and it's not one that we should care about. Okay? He's given us principles to live our life by and wisdom to apply in the decisions that we make, which I think is wonderfully freeing, isn't it? Isn't that freeing? You mean within God's revealed will, I have freedom to make choices? Yes, and the choices I make according to God's revealed will bring pleasure to God? Yes, and it gets better than that. Here's the best part, listen. Within God's revealed will, we are free to do what brings the most pleasure to us as well. Can I say that again? Are you saying to me that we have freedom within God's revealed will? Yes, and that all those options on, in non-moral categories when applying wisdom bring pleasure to God? Yes, and on top of that, that I, in the midst of making those decisions, don't have to assume that whatever the last thing I'd wanna do is what God wants in my life, but rather I get to do what I want is what God wants? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Love God and do as you please. Because when you are loving God and his, his glory is your priority, he changes our desires, and now we want what he wants in our life, and the decisions we make conform with what he would have us to do. I heard John MacArthur, actually I read it in a book that he has, On the Will of God. He said, he says, uh, people ask me oftentimes, how did you know God was calling you to Southern California to be a pastor? In John MacArthur's case, he said, I, I went to Southern California because I wanted to. I wanted to. There was no other factor that made me think that this was out of God's revealed will. And all things taken into consideration, on top of all that, I said, you know what, I'd love to pastor in Southern California. He loved God and he did as he pleased. Now let's go back to our marriage question. Here's our case study. If you came to me and said, all right, I want to get married and I'm trying to decide between three different girls, okay? There is, there is uh, Helga, uh, Joan and Jane, and you come to me. You know what I'm going to say to you? I'm going to say, well, which of them are, are, are committed Christians? All three of them. Are all three of them desiring to obey the Lord's uh, calling for to be a Christian wife in a marriage? Absolutely yes. Which one would you like to marry? You could be like, well, Helga, I, I, love, I love to see her shot put, but... There's a Helga here, I apologize, but. Uh, and and uh, Jane is so special. But let me tell you, Joan, I'd love to be married to her. You know what I'm gonna say to you? 
marry Helga. <laughs> no, I'm going to say marry the one that you want to. If you've prayed about this, you've carefully considered it, there's no moral categories, considerations, and you've applied wisdom, and you really come down to the fact that you really want to marry Joan, marry Joan, and know that you are bringing pleasure to God in doing it. Now, could you marry Helga? Would that be displeasing to God to marry Helga? No, it would not be displeasing to God like you're out of the will of God kind of displeasing. But why marry Helga when you have the same God... uh, pleasing freedom to marry Joan. See? And when do you know that she was the one that God called for you? Here's when you know, when you say, I do. At that moment, you can be confident that in the eternal purposes of God, in eternity past, that a part of his decree of conforming uh, for everything that's going to happen and him working through the circumstances and your desires and all that to bring you together, that she was the one that God had brought uh, into your life. And you can apply the same principle to big decisions, small decisions, it doesn't matter what you're facing. Love God and do as you please. So that as you sit here today, was it God's will that you be an accountant or a manager or a carpenter or whatever it is that you do? Was that God's one thing for you? It was the only thing that you could do? No, it wasn't. But now that you're that, you know what? In eternity past, up to this point, it was God's will that you do that. But if you lose your job tomorrow and you were a plumber and now you become a carpenter, guess what? You're no more pleasing or less pleasing to God than when you were a plumber in the first place. We have freedom. God's will is not a tightrope. It's that we love him, delight in him, please him, and make decisions with that in mind. Do you remember Solomon? What did Solomon pray for? He wanted wisdom. Why? Because of the complexities of life especially leadership of a nation which he was facing, he needed prudence and discretion and wisdom. And friends, that is the level that we are to live on. Wisdom is the key. That's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 1, wisdom cries out on the street corner saying, who will listen to me? And he told his sons, seek wisdom more than anything else. We need wisdom. So that there, because there are decisions that are all equally within God's revealed will, But there are some things that are better than others. And God's people need to learn how to make decisions that maximize the life that we have and the opportunities that we have to bring glory to God. All right, now, I just have a final illustration. This is a a letter. And this, this probably, this is actually a copy of a letter. And this represents one of my most uh, treasured possessions would be this letter. It's dated August 1986, and it says at the top, this is a love letter from a thankful dad. And a week before I went to college, my dad took me out to a park. We went out, I remember we had Kentucky Fried Chicken. We sat on this bench at this park, and we kind of had our father-son, you're going to college talk. And he gave me a sealed envelope, and he said, do not open this until we have dropped you off and we're gone, okay? And, which I did. And this was the letter that was, was, in, the, was in the envelope. And it begins with this. Dear Steve, how can I possibly write all my thoughts at a time like this? 
There are so many things to say, many of which I should have said to you many times over during the last few years to encourage you, but I only thought the thoughts and frequently couldn't get comfortable saying them. Please forgive me. And he goes on to describe what he felt like when I was born and his joy in, in that. He goes on to give some, you know, talks about my life and different things that he has appreciated. He, uh, he gives some, uh, some advice here. He says, thirdly, uh, partners for life frequently are found at college. Don't rush into this, he said. And then, then we get to the end here. He says this, and finally, I'm sure there are a million things that should be said between us. Some are achievements you have done that I haven't noticed or appreciated or remembered. Others are things I should have uh, done differently along the way. Steve, please forgive me for things I've done wrong, like failing to tell you when you were pleasing me or being too impatient when I felt you weren't. But in spite of our inadequacies, God seems to work things out. I hope I've captured a few of my feelings for you in this love letter. It is in no way the final chapter of my love affair for you since I um, feel God has only begun to show what he can do through you and I want to be as much a part of it as I can. I don't anticipate you failing at anything, but keep in mind your relationship with God is primary, the most important thing. Don't let it slip. I hope this encourages you. Read it when you are lonely. I'll be praying for you. I have every day since you were born. I love you, will miss you, give it your best for God and for us. Love, Dad. And I remember reading this. And you know what I felt like? I felt like a million bucks reading this. And you know what he didn't tell me in the letter? He didn't tell me any specifics about what I was to do and what I wasn't to do in college. I was on my own. I had complete freedom now in all of the opportunities and choices that I could make. But you know what? Because of this and many other things, I wanted to do college in a way that would make him proud in a response to the love that he has shown to me in the choices and the decisions that I made. And friends, that is the biblical model because this is God's love letter to us. We should read this and see his love and feel his love and feel like a million bucks. And to not take the freedom that he has given us in the, in the decisions that we make as license to do whatever we want, but rather to look at our lives and say, you know what? I want to make him proud. I want to please him more than anything else. Because from that heart perspective, the decisions that we make will be in conformity with what he would want us to do, which is God's ultimate goal for us. As Matthew 6:33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You're listening to The Journey and a message called, Dear God, What Do You Want Me to Do? Replay the full message online at thejourney.fm. Today, Pastor Steve reminded us of the significance of placing God at the center of our lives. By making choices in accordance with God's Word and following the path He has set for us, we grow in our faith and contribute to the fulfillment of God's purpose, both in our lives and in the lives of others. That's why each day on The Journey, 
we broadcast the truth of God's Word so that men and women around the world can grow in their relationship with Christ and help others know Him. We're doing our part in the Great Commission. Would you join us? When you give to support this ministry, you help keep this Bible teaching program on air. And your gift, no matter the size, makes a big impact. You can call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And to say thanks for your gift, we'll send you a book that pairs perfectly with our current series. It's titled, Decision-Making and the Will of God. Most Christians have been taught how to find the will of God, yet many are still unsure whether they found it. This book presents a fresh and liberating approach to God's will that'll give you confidence that you need to live with purpose. Request your copy today by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us next time for more teaching from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.